Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. Eknath Esawan was a professor at uh, UC Berkeley. And one of the things that he was known for was his emphasis on meditation and being the first to teach a course on meditation at a university and doing so for credit back in 1968, 1968. And so in this book, in this book The Compassionate Universe, in part what Eknath has done is he's taken a look at um, a teaching of Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, of course, we know, was all about freeing um, India from British control and wanting very much when the British left that they would leave as friends. He was a teacher of Ahimsa. He was a teacher of a nonviolent way of bringing about social change. In our spiritual practice and teaching, we often quote him because we believe in this idea of being the change we wish to see in the world. But he also had a very broad understanding of society and identified as he looked at where we were as a human family, things that he thought were problematic for us, and he called them the seven social ills. That's in part what this book is an exploration of and what we've been looking at together. He felt that knowledge without character was one of the ills of society, that science without humanity was another, that wealth without work was a problem. Today we're going to be looking at the fourth, and that is he felt that commerce or business without morality was an ill, and that we needed to find a way to do these things, but to do them with heart, to do them with a larger ideal or a larger purpose in mind. And so commerce with morality is to do business in a way that blesses us and nurtures and blesses the world. It is to me one of the places and ways that we can really demonstrate our spiritual practice and understanding. When I first came into Unity, I learned the basics of Unity's teachings, the basic principles and practices of prayer and meditation and of affirmative prayer and, and visualizing and all the tools and, and techniques that, that we have at our disposal in Unity. But there was often the missing piece of, but what does that really look like in the larger world? How, what am I expected to, to do or how can I be in the larger world with my spiritual understanding and practice? How can I live a life that really blesses not only me, but is an inspiration and a blessing to, to others? And the deeper I went into the study of metaphysics, the deeper I went into spiritual practice and the broader I began to look the more I realize that our teachings have to leave the comfort of our homes and be demonstrated out in the world. That it's not an either or, it's a both and. And I remember learning things that 
really began to change the way that I did things in life. So it wasn't just about, am I praying and meditating in the morning? Am I, am I using affirmations? Am I lifting my vibration as high as I can? But also, how am I walking as a citizen in the world itself? And Gandhi, who I think was one of the most aware spiritual beings in recent contemporary history, was very active in the issues of the world. If you think about it, our teacher in Weisho, or Jesus, was too. He was too. He, he wanted to bring about a world, I think, that was more fair and more just. Just look at the people that he associated with. Look at the things that he challenged. Look at the authorities that he tried to push against to breathe new life into the Jewish tradition and the Jewish religion. He was trying to raise consciousness, trying to change the way people show up in the world. It is for us then, a per, what's the word I'm looking for? It is for us then an assignment to be actively engaged with our teachings, not just for ourselves, but out in the world. I think that the way that we describe unity, or this Unity Center anyway, is not just with our mission statement of transforming lives and healing our world, but that we are about being spiritually progressive, that we are radically inclusive, and that we are socially responsive. So we look at what is ours to do. When Gandhi was talking about the danger of commerce without morality, he was pointing out some real issues and problems that we would have if we continued along that track of just doing business for the sake of the bottom line. I was thinking about this as I was going over my, my notes this weekend, that we have at our disposal tools and techniques that Gandhi didn't have, that Jesus didn't have, that we can wake up together in much larger numbers and be about making change. Think about how long it would have taken for Jesus to share an idea that could be transformative and have lots and lots of people learn about that idea and practice it. It would take a long time, right? There was what? The spoken word and the written word at best. Think about Gandhi. He had much more at his disposal, right? Much more at his disposal but didn't have the internet, didn't have the means of, of quickly communicating ideas that could help make a difference in the world. As I thought about that yesterday, I thought, this is so incredibly important to appreciate and to use. I was thinking about what does it mean, what does commerce with morality mean? It means, in a way, to bring our heart into our choices. It means to, um, to consume more consciously, to be a conscious consumer. Think about that just for a moment. To be a conscious consumer. There was a time in my life that I never would have put those two words together. How about for you? Never would have thought to put those two words together. It doesn't make me a bad person. It's just that I was 
ill-informed or only partially informed that, wait a minute, maybe I need to be more conscious about my consumption, whether it is of resources or anything else. As I was thinking about the simple idea that there was, a, for me, that there was a time when I never would have thought about bringing my consciousness into consumption, bringing my consciousness into purchases, bringing my consciousness into what I invest in in the world as an aspect of my spiritual practice. Because it is. It is. And once we know something, it's really important that we practice it. If we know it and we believe it to be true, then part of morality, or I prefer the word integrity, is about making sure that we do what we know is right, or we do what we know is a better way of being. I was thinking about commerce with morality, or as I call it, with a heart, uh, the heart of humanity. And we have at our disposal ways and examples in the world today that Jesus didn't have, that Gandhi didn't have. I want to quickly mention five of them to you. One of them goes on right here at the Unity Center. Fair trade. That's commerce with morality. Fair trade. Fair trade is about paying a fair price to the people who make the goods that you and I use. Fair trade is also about practices that are business practices that are done with sustainability in mind. Go upstairs and look at our beautiful items in Partners Fair Trade Boutique. Those are items that are made by individual people that are doing everything they possibly can to change their life circumstances, right? And whatever it is that they make, because these things that have the fair trade label on them are paid a fair, livable, livable in that area, livable wage. It's a relatively new idea. It has its roots back in about the 1940s with what was called the alternative trade organizations at the time. And then it morphed into what you and I know as fair trade. It became popular in the 1980s. But it is a way that we demonstrate being more conscious about what we're consuming. And whether it's a handcrafted item upstairs, how many of us drink coffee? Raise your hand. That's most of us. We can say, I'm going to exercise my spiritual practice. I'm only going to buy coffee that's fair trade coffee. It seems like simple little things, right? But there was a time that you and I just admitted we didn't link the words conscious consumer together. Now we can learn about these things together, whether it's fair trade or socially responsible investing, right? If we have a portfolio, if we invest our dollars, we can make a choice to invest in products that have social responsibility at their heart. We hear now, and this wasn't true in, in Gandhi's age, and certainly wasn't true in Jesus' age, of corporate social responsibility. And yeah, there's a lot of things that our corporations do that are damaging and are just about the bottom line because they're 
beholden to their investors, but as people, that's us, as we say we want our businesses, our corporations to be more about social responsibility. We want you corporations to look at how you are conducting business. If enough of us use our voice and vote or don't vote with our dollars, we begin to move the needle. Are you with me? It really matters. It really matters. Ethical marketing, transparent marketing, marketing that is honest. We can begin to really demand that. That's not such a good word. But we can really stand by that and ask for that and support organizations and products that demonstrate the values that matter to us. Sustainable business practice. These were just a few of them. I was thinking, you know, this is where we do get to make a difference. Our spiritual practice can't just be for ourselves. It really can't be. Otherwise, it's nothing, and excuse me, I'm stepping on toes, nothing other than navel-gazing. We need to look at how do we show up in the world. Our planet is teeming with rich resources. It really is. I think, and sorry, here I go again, but it's a vision that comes to my mind. I was making salad the other day, and I was cutting tomatoes and the little tomato seeds, you know, ooze out. And I was thinking about the tomato plants I planted last year and the abundant harvest I had. And just reflecting on the power of that teeny, tiny seed, given enough care and nurturing and some time, how prolific it is, how abundant our universe is. But that doesn't mean that we can just keep raping her and consuming everything. Every farmer knows that if you eat everything that you harvest, you have no seed left to plant. You've heard me use this story over the years when I teach about prosperity, that ancient Chinese farmers learned a very painful secret of gardening, that if when they planted potatoes, they ate all the large potatoes and just used the seed from the small potatoes, for next year's harvest, over time, their potatoes got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. We cannot consume all and only the best. We must always put some of it back. That's, to me, what it is to be a more conscious consumer and a more compassionate steward of our resources, whether it's our personal finances or the resources of our planet. There was an editorial in Time Magazine that pointed out, no attempt to protect our Earth and our future well-being will ultimately be successful unless all of us find ways to scale back our lifestyles. That was another thing that I never, there, there was a time I never knew anything about, was a link between being spiritually aware, and my lifestyle. And it wasn't until I met Ila Gandhi in one of her synthesis dialogues, and she began to talk about her work in India and began to describe 
some of the situations that she encountered as she tried to help some of the women in the groups that she was helping. And I began to see as she began to tell stories how my lifestyle, the time I lived in Scripps Ranch, how my lifestyle in Scripps Ranch really could make an impact in the world itself. It could make a negative impact or it could make a positive impact. And I didn't have to do anything out of deprivation. I could do it out of compassionate stewardship and I could do it out of conscious consumption. Conscious consumption. Here are some inspiring words from Eknaf. He says, we really do have the answers within us. And part of the answers are rising to our higher qualities. I'm paraphrasing him here. He says, the answer is to build our lives on our highest values, love, compassion, artistry, cooperation, thrift, and sustainability. We can do that, don't you think? Am I boring you to death? Am I just talking to me today? We can do that, right? We don't have to do it all, but we can do some of it. And the more that we know the greater the responsibility is ours to demonstrate it, to live it. Eknath writes, lasting change happens when people see for themselves that a different way of life is more fulfilling than their present one. Our image of the human being, of ourselves, influences every aspect of our lives. The first step in creating a healthy, peaceful, post-industrial era is for a few of us to start basing our lives on a higher image of who we are and a deeper understanding of what we need for a satisfying life. He's suggesting that we hold a, a higher vision of ourselves as, as humanity. That's right in par with what we teach in metaphysics. We know the power of, of vision. The vision of a world that can work for all and the vision of ourselves as, as beings that are motivated and inspired by love and integrity and compassion and kindness and good steward. We know these things. It's closing the gap between them between what we know and what we are willing to consistently do. Eknath suggests a three-part plan of action to support commerce with integrity or commerce with morality. I'm going to tell you what the three are that he gives, and I'm just going to highlight them. They will not surprise you. You already know these things. But this is what he suggests is our three-part plan of action. Number one, these are very practical Reduce the amount of waste. Number two, remember the interdependence of all life. The song Natalie sang before I got up here really painted a beautiful picture of the interdependence of life. And a compassionate diet. Reduce the amount of waste. Remember the interdependence of all life. And a compassionate diet. I almost brought my compost, my counter compost thing for you today. I researched them. Do you know how many compost containers there are that you can get? There are a lot of different kinds. Anyway, I almost brought my compost container for you. I've bought three or four of them now as gifts for other people, requesting, take your food scraps and put them in the compost. Don't just throw them in the landfill. I remember going to the um, Robert Mondavi 
um, winery in Napa Valley a number of years ago. Beautiful, beautiful place. And one of the things I was taken by was their sustainability practices, their practices around reducing as much waste as possible from letting the, the grapes and the juice of the grapes um, ease out naturally, not crushing them, letting them ease out, the juice ease out naturally, then taking the skins, then taking the seeds and using the seeds to make um, grape seed oil and then using the leaves and, and so forth and the stems for composting. This beautiful cycle, beautiful cycle. I remember the first time I heard in an Awakened World conference the phrase, from cradle to grave, the idea of really minimizing any waste that we can possibly, can possibly generate. I don't know how numbers like this are arrived at, but there's a number out there that, that says that on average, every person generates about 25 pounds of waste per week. Now, I was thinking about that, and at first I thought, no, 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 that can't be true, because I think I could weigh my garbage, and I don't think in the Purcell household with four people living there that there's 100 pounds of garbage. And I'm pretty sure I'm right that there's not 100 pounds. Of but then I thought, wait a minute, that's only a very partial look, because what about the water that comes to my house? What about the sewage that goes out? What about the electricity? What about all these other things that I'm consuming, that I'm using even when I'm doing so mindfully? There is waste that's generated as a result of my use of those things. Maybe that 25 pounds per person per week is kind of accurate. But even, even if it's 10, what these things suggest to me is not to argue with the number but for me to look inside and say, hmm, what am I doing? And am I aware of any better practices that I'm not participating in on a consistent basis that could make a big difference? And whether it is collecting my food scraps or minimizing my, my waste in any other way, repurposing things, if I'm aware of something, I want to hold myself responsible to doing that. Eknath says in his three-part plan, the second is to be mindful of and remember our interdependence. That my mom and I were having this conversation just the other day. My mom grew up in a generation where you didn't think about any of these things. And, you know, using tons of paper towels, I'm forever saying, Mom, Napkins, let's use napkins. We have napkins, cloth napkins. Do you know how hard it is to find cloth napkins now? It is not easy. If you decide that you do not want to use paper towels or paper napkins because you want to eliminate the, at least that portion of waste, I can tell you from personal recent experience, you have to go shopping quite a little bit to find cloth napkins, the kind that you don't always have to iron, right? To, that you can use again. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing here too much. But we were talking about the, the simple idea of a way, of throwing things away. And this plays right into the idea of interdependence, that we are connected. When I throw my thing away, it is away from me, but what? What? 
it is somebody else's here. That may not be mind-boggling to you, but that was eye-opening to me the first time I heard somebody speak to that idea. Wow, that's right. And so there is this interdependence. There is this connection. And if I really care about a more sustainable world, a more equitable world, we can't have a sustainable world that's not equitable. If I care about that, then it's incumbent upon me to make sure that I'm holding myself to the highest standards that I possibly can. And his third part of his three action plan, I know you know this, he says compassionate eating. What does he mean by that? He means at the very least being aware of what it is we are eating and the impact of the food choices we make on the environment itself. While we live in a, a, on an amazing planet, she can't be indefinitely abused. And so looking at how can, in the very least, how can we eat a little bit lower on the food chain? We don't all have to do the same thing, but how, what he's saying, how can we eat a little bit lower on the food chain? Take a breath with me. I hope that I've, I've presented these ideas in a way, in the way that I intend to. And that is to really underscore what I believe is at the heart of deep spiritual practice. And that is translating our beliefs and our individual practices that help us feel healthier and whole and more calm and serene and more prosperous and all those things. But to do those things and not end with ourselves, but to really truly get that our spiritual practice must express out into our lifestyle and into our demonstration of our care for one another. And our care for one another is not just, are we loving and kind to each other? We've got to do that. But are we also mindful of how our choices ripple out and either create a better world for all or keep us stuck or cause us to retreat? Thank you for listening. 